1: I'm Sasha Coca. it's the California Report magazine. And on this week's show, we're gonna hear stories of creative Californians finding a platform to showcase their talents, despite the odds. From a duo of violinists who hit the road during the pandemic in a makeshift VW tour bus.
2: You know, you cannot just stop life. It's like, I still need to create, otherwise I, I cannot live, you know?
1: To California's only contestant on this season of Top Chef, who draws on his Afro-Caribbean roots to tell a story through food.
3: I did the braised rescue chicken with the uh, plantains maduros. How to throw the plantains in there. You know, <laughs> it all ties in together.
1: But we're gonna start with a pioneering black actress whose name didn't even appear in the credits for so many of the films she was in.
0: Miss Pinky, you have to do something about
2: Aunt dice. What is it this time? She's been at that new sterilizer again. Every time I sterilize the sheet, she puts them back.
1: Wide That's a clip of Juanita Moore in a 1949 film called Pinky. She appeared in more than 80 movies and TV shows and was a trailblazer in Hollywood over her seven-decade career.
4: She was a showgirl at 18 at Smalls Paradise, at the Zanzibar Club, several venues throughout New York during the Harlem Renaissance. This was in the 30s.
1: That's her nephew, Arnett Moore. He's 75, and he's on a lone mission to get her a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Applications are due May 28th.
4: She sang at the London Palladium, at the Moulin Rouge, and she even had a chance to sing and dance with Josephine Baker and other prominent blacks during that time.
1: When Juanita returned to California and got into acting, she found it was hard to break out of stereotypical roles.
4: She was from the boudoir to the jungle. In other words, she played a maid to a savage. And and that was her early career. Mm -hmm.
1: Those were the roles available to to black women at the time.
4: They were the roles available to black women. And one thing she wouldn't do is play the mammified role or the buffoon role. She would not do those.
1: It wasn't until 1959, when she starred in Imitation of Life, that her true talents were finally recognized.
4: I just want to look at you.
1: That's why I came. Are you happy here, honey? Are you finding what you really want? I'm somebody else. I'm white. White. Juanita plays Annie a mom whose light-skinned daughter, Sarah Jane, rejects her black identity and tries to pass as white.
4: And if by accident we should ever pass on the street, please don't recognize me. I won't, Sarah Jane.
5: I promise. I settle all that in my mind.
4: I remember that it was a very emotional picture, and it still remains so. I once was asked by a friend of mine, did you cry during the imitation of life? I said, no didn't want him to think I cried. But yes, I cry even today. And I cried then.
6: Sarah Jane. Oh, my baby.
4: My beautiful, beautiful baby.
1: I love you so much. Nothing you ever do can stop in 1995, Juanita talked about that role in an interview with Turner Classic Movies. She remembered what the film's producer, Ross Hunter, told her when she got the part, nearly 40 years
0: earlier. Juanita, he said, I've put my neck out for you. He said, if you're no know good, the picture's not gonna be any good. And it just scared me to death, you know, to, to say that. That's a lot of pressure.
4: And she says that. Really, that was her coming out, too. She had been in movies prior to that, playing small parts and some uncredited parts, but this was her opportunity to bust out at 44 years old.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, I've been asked to give the award for the best performance by an actress in a supporting role, or to put it more succinctly, the best picture stealer.
1: Juanita got an Academy Award nomination. The nominees are Hermione Badley for Room at the Top, Susan Kona for Imitation of Life, Juanita Moore for Imitation of Life. Even though she didn't win, Juanita Moore was only the fifth black actor at that point to have been nominated for an Oscar.
4: She was a trailblazer. She opened doors, and today, a lot of the actors of color are not having to deal with some of the things she dealt with. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not like it was because of people like her and Sidney Poitier and others that stuck their necks out early on.
1: After Imitation of Life, Juanita hoped she could star in her own films or at least be cast in more substantive roles. But she didn't get offered another part for a year.
0: I didn't want to carry the trays anymore. And I knew that that was all the only kind of job that I was going to get. I knew that, but I did not want to do that. So I don't know if being nominated uh, helped me or not. But true to
1: her passion, she never quit acting. She went on to perform mostly small roles. Her last part was in 2000 as a grandmother in Disney's The Kid with Bruce Willis. She died just before New Year's Day 2014 at the age of 99. Arnett says when he was a kid growing up in LA, his aunt never talked much about her career. He's had to uncover her history himself after her death, including digging up hundreds of photos. Uh, Let's
4: see. This is my booklet that I put together on Juanita. That's Juanita, Sam Davis Jr. And they took this, and Sammy wasn't even in the movie, but he was a friend of Juanita.
1: Arnett is a retired salesman. He doesn't have big connections with the film industry. But over the last two years, he's launched a grassroots campaign for Juanita Moore to get a Hollywood star.
4: You know, in the 50s when I was growing up, when you saw a black person on the TV screen, you got excited. And Juanita was that face you saw again and again and again. I'm very proud of her. She had a lot of obstacles, the biggest one being racism. She's a star without a star.
1: Arnett plans to submit his nomination for Juanita Moore's star for the third year in a row. If she's not selected this summer, he says, he's gonna keep trying. a little red 1971 Volkswagen bus pulling up to your driveway. Two violinists pop out. They've been on the road for hours, and they're exhausted and need a shower and a place to park overnight. They ask if they can play for you. Reporter Paulina Terzova brings us the story of Music Caravan. Two LA violinists, Etienne Gara and his partner, Yuen Kim, Who've hit the road during the pandemic? They've been driving through politically divided states and bringing music to farmers, winemakers, and anybody else who wants to listen along the way, including turkeys.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so
2: beat
5: you know it's like.
2: You play like Korean, I play like French something.
5: Yeah, it's just you Sometimes I complain that he plays too free, you
2: know? Yeah, I'm French. Yeah.
5: And then he complains that I'm sometimes too square, you know? She's but, but I'm being rhythmical. You know?
6: Etienne and Yuen are concert violinists. Etienne is the artistic director and founder of Delirium Musicum, a Los Angeles-based string orchestra. He is also the newly named artist-in-residence at the Saraya, a state-of-the-art venue in L.A., while Yuan is an international competition winner with over 6 million views on YouTube. Their mission is simple, to bring joy and human bonding through music. And in a time when our states are more divided than ever, they believe music can bring us a little closer.
2: It's more that music is going to save the world. Uh, We all have the same dreams, we all have the same worries, we all have the same, you know, everything in life. Um, no matter what political, social, religious background you have. And, and it's about, you know, breaking that wall that we have and bond together and create stories.
6: Music Caravan emerged as a project of Delirium Musicum. But becoming traveling musicians on the road was far from what the two violinists had envisioned back in March of 2020. Delirium Musicum was in full swing, They were getting ready for tours, preparing for a recording session with a major record label, and they were just about to play a concert in Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts. Then, the pandemic hit, and everything stopped. Concerts, sporting events, and
0: festivals here in the Southland and across the country are being canceled or postponed.
3: Sad news tonight, the LA Philharmonic has canceled its concerts for the rest of the year. Decision follows the Hollywood Bowl, the Ford and Walt Disney Concert Hall, which are all going dark due to the pandemic.
2: And then, you know, it was like, okay, we need to do something because, Mm -hmm. you know, you cannot just stop life. It's like, I still need to create, otherwise I, I cannot live, you know?
6: From this isolation and necessity to create, an idea was born. What if they could still continue performing, but outdoors and socially distanced?
2: And then we started the courtyard concerts.
6: They began playing in the courtyard of their apartment building in East Hollywood every Sunday. Music brought people out of their homes. From the elderly to parents with children, all kinds of listeners stepped out onto their balconies to experience live music. Thank you and stay safe,
2: everyone.
6: (laughs) Then they thought, what if this could be something more? What if they could bring music to people all over America, not just Los Angeles?
2: But how do we do that? It's like we can't yeah, just. Learn. But it's, it's like... not
5: that I never imagined that I'm gonna be living in a bus. When he talked about this idea, of course I thought it's it's crazy.
6: While searching on Craigslist, they scrolled through hundreds of vehicles until they found the one—a little 1971 VW bus, a vehicle with personality. The metal plates of the chassis were rusted. There were bumps and scratches, and the paint was faded. After they tuned the engine, bought new curtains, and painted it bright red, it was ready.
2: It's extremely cute. People will come to you. It triggers imagination. It triggers stories because most people have a story about a VW bus about 50 years ago. And nobody can throw you out when they see this cute candy on wheels.
6: They named him Boris. And finally in August, they hit the road. It was the start of their own great American road trip. Two violinists from foreign countries, traveling across the states from one place to the next, trying to bring people together.
2: I never thought about it as me being French or or not from here. I always felt it that I'm, I'm coming to people. They don't know my background, I don't know their background, but I see them just as people. Meeting
6: people along the way has given them a sense of place in America.
2: Where do I belong? You know, am I French? Am I Hungarian? I'm American? I'm European? Am I... Where do I really come from? Where do I go? It became, like, normal to be the foreigner, to be on the road.
6: For Yuen, being on the road helped her cope with grief, like so many others in 2020. Her dad passed away last year, just as they started their trip.
5: Because of my, um, what happened to my father and stuff. The beginning was very hard, but it was more helpful for me to... Travel and meet new people, and then this crazy time on the road.
6: There's a kind of freedom in not knowing where the road will take them next, from cinematic landscapes
2: across deserts through forests. And the forest, redwood forest, and these huge trees, and you go up and down. And the morning, you have the the, the sun coming up.
5: Like oh my god, this is like so beautiful and stunning and and at the same time, I'm so small, (laughs) you know. Compared to this earth, I'm nothing. I really like that feeling. The bus is really, really tiny. Almost ready. There's a small sink. There's a water tank. And we have a small ice box. We store our food.
2: People gave us meat from their farm. It's like we, we butchered uh, an old rooster that we made cacao vin with it, which is, you know, rooster that you cook for very long in wine. It's a French dish. Bon appétit! Bon appétit! It's like, you know, Michelin star restaurant, just in the bus.
6: <laughs> their bus has taken them from farms, groves and vineyards to a Christian Orthodox monastery.
5: We are finally back on the-
6: Along the road, they've met all kinds of people, from Trump supporters, to Americans on the liberal side, to war veterans, and hippies who traveled in VW buses years ago. People from all political, religious, and social backgrounds have welcomed Yuan and Etienne into their homes.
5: They open their door no matter what. They hear our story, what we are doing at this time, and they immediately feel that, oh, I need to do something good too
2: you know, in Napa. Mm -hmm. Our driveway hosts were pro-Trump, and then we invited to the garden concert people who were just a block away, who were VW people, so pretty much old hippies. They were both surprised to find themselves you know, in the same place. But hey, it was courteous, it was nice. They all enjoyed each other, and and I think they saw that, you know, we're, we're human beings before everything.
6: From Oceanside, California, they drove north through Ventura County, heading towards the farms outside of Ojai, 80 miles north of LA. They parked Boris between vast groves of citrus, walnut, and olive trees. So last year was a huge season, absolutely humongous. Yeah. Eight years ago, Alice Asquith gave up her job as artistic administrator of the Los Angeles Opera to help her son run the family olive oil company. It takes 50 pounds of olives to make one gallon of olive oil. Amidst the olive trees in a little canyon by a pond, Etienne and Yuen set up their music stands.
2: So for the next song, we'll go to Poland, but not that far from France because he's from Chopin and he loves to be seen as French.
1: Yes, he did. And
2: it's uh, nocturne. Opus 9, number 2.
6: And played for a little audience of five. It's like somebody took them from some magical place and plunked them down there. There they were. And they could have been anywhere. You know, it was just—it was—it was—it was about music. That's all it was. It was about music, and of course, down at the
1: grove, they could hear them, so everybody stopped and listened. You know, and they all said it was like time stopped.
6: I felt free out there, free, mm-hmm.
4: flying. Really enjoyed your music very much. Thank you so much. Oh,
0: you loved this. Yeah. Story, yeah. Very, very good.
4: good.
5: If we play with our heart, then they will love it, whatever we play.
2: So it gives really faith in humanity. People are compassionate, people are respectful, people have dreams. And when you put all this together, it's it's pretty amazing to be alive. Although
6: Music Caravan began as a response to a deadly pandemic, Etienne and Yuen say they're just getting started.
2: So I'm wondering, you know, if we don't have those barriers because of the pandemic, then can we go even further? You know, can we have 50 people? you know, in their backyards instead of street. And, and maybe with more musicians, you know, like have a real music caravan with many buses and many musicians following they and just so cool. playing <laughs> outside randomly.
6: The Little Red Bus has taken Etienne and Yuan from Southern California all the way to the Canadian border. But one thing remains constant, the music and the power it has in bringing people together. For The California Report, I'm Paulina Cherizova in Los Angeles.
1: Pandemic confession. My kids and I have been watching a lot more TV, including lately Top Chef. Mostly to cheer on the one California contestant. Mom, let's go watch Top Chef. Nelson's on. Nelson Herman owns two restaurants in Oakland where he showcases his culinary roots with the kinds of dishes he grew up eating as the son of Dominican immigrants.
3: Being a person of color, this coincides with what I'm doing now, helping people get educated on history. So this My
1: is producer Amanda Font and I are now both fully vaccinated. And so, for our first in person interview in a long time, we went to go see Nelson at his cocktail bar and restaurant, Sobremesa, to talk to him about what inspires his food and to sample some of his creations for ourselves. Nelson, it's so nice to meet this you. This is Sasha. Sobremesa means nice over the table. The time after the meal when people can sit back and really connect in conversation. Here lush electric paintings of tropical leaves hang on these dark green walls. And it's lit up by glowing purple ceiling lamps. Nelson says it all tells a story.
3: A broad story of the African diaspora. Like it's not just about being Latino, it's the African side. There's more to us, black people who are all over the world, the Caribbean islands, Africa, the motherland, we have influenced the world. That's why I wanted to show this place, like the music, there's the colors of the drinks. Everything's telling a story.
1: Nelson leads us into the kitchen.
3: So I'm gonna be making a, our version of camas Salajillo. Uh, what's cool about this version, it's a pan-African version. So we created an Ethiopian spiced butter. Ooh. So the, the traditional is nitil Ikibe. I'm going with some baby fennel and then my pre-marinated shrimp. The Gambas, the name, so.
1: Growing up in New York, Nelson says cooking in his Dominican family was very gendered. His mom and his grandma ruled the kitchen. They never imagined he'd become a chef.
3: That wasn't something in our culture that was seen as top of the line. You know, now it is because chefs are becoming more like rock stars.
1: Nelson went to culinary school and landed jobs at upscale restaurants in New York. He studied Mediterranean cuisine in Spain and France and Italy. And when he moved to his wife's hometown of Oakland, he opened the seafood restaurant Mar to try to reflect all those experiences and his Dominican roots.
3: I need to do more things that are more me. So I started adding the oxtail that I grew up eating, uh, my mom's braised chicken with the plantains and the rice and beans. And people start flocking more into the restaurant.
1: Alamar earned a Michelin recommendation.
3: I am going to add a little bit of pickled onions and fennel to this. So she- I'm searing the shrimp now uh, for about a minute.
1: And seafood is at the heart of a lot of his favorite dishes at the new restaurant, Sobremesa. Mesa.
3: So cooking the fennel with the shrimp for about 20 seconds. Then I'm gonna deglaze with this beautiful mezcal um, to bring out the sugars that were getting stuck on the pan.
1: It's getting hot in here, <laughs> A tower of flame rises from the pan of sizzling shrimp. Nelson seems a lot more relaxed in his own kitchen than he did on Top Chef. You have
6: just 30 minutes on the clock for this challenge. So knock on wood, because your time starts now.
3: The minute you see the big Top Chef sign for the first time walking into the kitchen, it's like you're a line cook all over again. I always kept thinking about why I'm here, like why I do what I do now. It's not just for awards and accolades, it's for a movement.
1: This season of Top Chef includes a number of Black and Latinx chefs and judges, and some episodes pay tribute to Pan-African and indigenous cuisine.
0: Welcome to our homeland. Today, we're going to be talking about our alpani tokota, our sacred foods, our first foods, and how important they are to our tribe and our culture.
1: You know, what people in mainstream America still think of as high cuisine is still really Eurocentric mm-hmm. in its roots. It still is based yeah. in Europe. You struggled a little bit with how much were you going to really show who you were yeah. versus trying to cook for this idea, right, of yeah. what the judges might like. There's a part in the episode when you guys go to the farm and you ended up making a dish scallops and the judges were pretty harsh with you.
3: Yeah. I just didn't cook with my heart.
1: Every time Nelson strayed from his culinary roots, he got dinged by the judges. They loved it, though, when he made what he called an unidentified Dominican object for a sci-fi challenge. It was a kind of rusa made of corn, jerk pork, and candied yams. When Nelson is in his element cooking with his heart, wow. Oh, my god. That is delicious. <sighs> And to complement the gambas al ajillo he made us, Nelson shakes up a signature cocktail. Oh
3: yeah! All right, so we're going to do the daiquiri with allspice dram and uh, plantain syrup. Ready? The food enhances the cocktails, it's not the other way around. That's what's unique about it. It's not your typical bar food. It's like so different, but still familiar in a way, especially for people of color.
1: But this Afro-Caribbean cocktail bar in Oakland hasn't seen many customers yet. Shelter-in-Place shut it down just nine days after its grand opening last March. And then, boom, no business.
3: Yeah, I know. It was the hardest thing ever.
1: He got lucky, though. His seafood restaurant, Alamar, was tapped for a special initiative started by another Top Chef alum. They got paid to cook meals for laid-off restaurant workers throughout the Bay Area
3: and it kept us afloat.
1: At the same time, the weird silver lining was that because his restaurants were closed for dining, Nelson had the time to go on Top Chef. He got hurt during the filming, though. He badly injured his knees during one challenge where the chefs had to pick fruit in an orchard.
3: I'm a big boy, so my knees are hurting, but I gotta make this happen.
1: That meant he was cooking while distracted by tons of pain. And just recently, in episode six... There's one thing you should know about this challenge. Uh Uh-oh. This is a double elimination. Nelson got eliminated. He had a chance to come back, but his knees hurt too badly for him to keep going. My kid is devastated. He's been going around muttering... I can't believe Nelson got kicked off the show. I know I have one other question that I'm supposed to ask you on behalf of my eight-year-old... His name is Joaquin. He really wants to be a chef. You got any advice for him?
3: Joaquin, definitely learn about your culture and appreciate it. It's going to go a long way for you as a chef. Um, Really dig in deep to to your roots and be ready. There's going to be a lot of pressure, but I know you can do it. You know, just cook with your heart all the time. Always know that and always remember where you came from.
1: Oakland chef Nelson Hermann, California's only contestant on this season of Top Chef. And that's the California Report Magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Amanda Font is our director. And Brendan Willard is our engineer. Our team also includes Hector Arsate and Mary Franklin Harvin. Special thanks this week to Sandy Tolan. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks for tuning in. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories.